Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thanks for joining us for this, the sixth episode of season two, uh, episode 32 overall of Oral History. And I thank you for uh, listening to Faith a, a couple weeks ago, the story of my uh, just walk of faith and, again, my uh, particular beliefs. Thank you for participating in that and listening to that. I want to kind of go back and finish up something I started several weeks ago, which was a process called Go Sports. That episode aired uh, several times ago, but I'm going to finish that up today with Go Sports Part 2. And in that first episode, I kind of talked about my family, our our love affair with the Denver Broncos, our love affair with Denver and Colorado sports in general, and hockey and a, a variety of other things. Go back and listen to that. But today, specifically where I sit right now, I'm sitting about four hours away from the kickoff of Super Bowl 57. And by the time some of you listen to this, that'll already be over. And you'll know whether the particular victor was the Philadelphia Eagles or the Kansas City Chiefs. But right now, I don't know that. So I'm sitting here kind of anxiously anticipating. I love the Super Bowl. I love the pageantry. I love the commercials and love just the the game in general. But it's been a real up and down love affair for my family because the Denver Broncos, the team I grew up with, have been there eight times and it was rarely a good thing. Um, well, there were a few good ones, but there were several that were really not so good. And then as a Cleveland Browns fan now, it's been a complete drought since the Super Bowl started in 1967. The Cleveland Browns have never been a part of it, but they were a part of a championship in the early 60s before it became known as the Super Bowl. But the Denver Broncos, um, their flirtation with the pinnacle prize of the Super Bowl, uh, the pinnacle prize of the NFL season, the Vince Lombardi Trophy, it started off very rough. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, we would just agonize over Broncos games. I think I mentioned in the in the first episode of Go Sports, my family often let things go until the game was over because there was no DVRing, there was no watching highlights after the fact. There was the game, and you watched it live or you didn't watch it at all. And sometimes overflowing toilets took a backseat to our participating in Broncos football games. Pretty much everything else did on a Sunday afternoon. But when it came to the the ultimate prize, Denver kind of inched its way toward the Super Bowl several times. The first time was in 1978. They finished what was probably a miracle season for them uh, under the leadership of a quarterback by the name of Craig Morton. Craig led them to... Uh, the Super Bowl that year, they played the New York, uh, I'm sorry, the Dallas Cowboys in that final game of the that particular season at the conclusion of the 77 season in January of 1978. And it was one of those situations where 
they were just happy to have been there. Um, they kind of got beat up by uh, a bigger, better Dallas Cowboys team uh, by the score of 27 to 10. And just, it was not a good day. And it was the end of a drought for the Broncos. They had never been in it prior to that. But now all of a sudden, it was the beginning of another drought because it would be nine years before they would ever return again. And in 1983, they drafted a quarterback by the name of John Elway, who uh, led them to a total of f- six Super Bowls, um, four of which were uh, unmitigated disasters, kind of, and two of which were very successful. But John, uh, in early in his career, was uh, the golden boy. He was drafted the same year as Dan Marino. He was drafted around the same time, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, was the drafting of Jim Kelly. And it was three different franchises, Jim Kelly with the Buffalo Bills, uh, Dan Marino with the Miami Dolphins, and John with the Broncos that were destined for heartache either in regular season or in the big game. Dan never made, Dan Marino never made the Super Bowl. Jim Kelly made a few, never won. And it looked like for the longest time that John was going to go there multiple times and just be embarrassed every time, at least through those first four times. The In 1987, Super Bowl XXI, Denver, again, made it to their second trip and lost to the New York Giants 20 or 39 to 20. They had a better fairing than they did nine years prior with the Cowboys, but it still was a rough outing. And then they had three that were very, very difficult. Um, Actually, two additional ones that were very difficult. Two of the three worst losses in in Super Bowl history happened in uh, Super Bowl 22 and 24. The Broncos lost to Washington and... uh, a very unknown quarterback named Doug Williams by a score of 42 to 10. And then two years later, were beaten up by the San Francisco uh, 49ers by the largest margin of defeat ever in the Super Bowl, 55 to 10. And John Elway's career looked to be destined, as I said, to show up and not win, kind of like some other quarterbacks of his caliber. But One in particular, one Super Bowl in particular kind of turned things around, and it was a Super Bowl in 1998. At the conclusion of the 97 season, Denver went um, quite far. They had gone even farther the year before and got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs by an unknown, unknown Jacksonville Jaguars team. But in 1998, they made it to Super Bowl 32, and it was marked by a number of really crazy circumstances. It was uh, a game where Elway was in the latter years of his of his career. He was playing probably at his best that he'd ever played, but age was beginning to show a little bit as well. But they had found ways to put running backs behind him that could do amazing things, and in this particular Super Bowl, they had Terrell Davis behind him, and Terrell was incredible, had an MVP season with over 2,000 yards, and Terrell developed a migraine about midway through, I think it was the second quarter, and they were near the goal line, and the coach at that time, uh, Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, decided that the Green Bay Packers, their their uh, opponents would not believe 
that they weren't going for a run unless Terrell was in there. And Terrell had a migraine, and I've had migraines, and I've talked about that in a couple of the episodes that I've had, where he couldn't see. He His aura was kicking in. He couldn't see, but he went in. He took what was a fake handoff, and they scored a touchdown. But there were two moments kind of toward the end of that game that were even more iconic than Terrell's running a play under the aura of a migraine headache. And one of them in particular, my family and I were sitting around the TV watching, and it was getting late in the game. Denver had to continue to move the ball in order to even come close, and they were they were driving. And at one point, they were maybe at the 30-yard line, and they snapped the ball. John took the ball, and he went off right tackle, and he he ran, and he needed to get a first down. And he threw himself into the air. He was helicoptered in midair, spun completely around laterally and landed on the ground. And the whole state of Colorado gasped at once because they thought John Elway had probably hurt himself in that pl- at that point. And John pops up and he runs back to the, to the huddle. And I guarantee at that moment, there were 10 guys standing looking at him with their mouths wide open going, this is how bad John Elway wants it. And if he's willing to do that, then we're willing to do whatever it takes to win this game. And not too long later, it was a situation where they needed to score and the Green Bay Packers made what some people might talk about as being one of the most confusing calls in Super Bowl history. They decided to let Denver score. They were so confident in Brett Favre, their quarterback and their offense, that they could come down and score again, that they let Denver score. They opened a hole and Terrell Davis ran through completely untouched in something you could have driven literally a truck through. And Denver went on to hold on to that game. They they held on with their defense. There was a, a knockdown ball on a fourth down play late in the game. And John went to the podium and he was greeted by, <laughs> if I remember correctly, in this particular Super Bowl, it might have been the next one. But in this one, I believe Pat Bolin, the, the coach, of the Denver Broncos held the trophy up over his head and he said, this one's for John. And he handed the trophy to John Elway and John went back and the next year he made it back and the Denver Broncos faced the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 33 and they won their second. So now they were at a four, four losses and two win record in the Super Bowl. Two, two of which John lost and two of which he had won and he retired after that season. And that one, he was the the MVP as well. Um, I think Terrell was the year before and John was the, the second year. And that was the end of John's career. John ended up in the main in the main office of the Denver Broncos. He um, spent a lot of time with them, still as part of the team. But eventually they handed over the reins to uh, another iconic quarterback by the name of Peyton Manning. And Peyton went to two Super Bowls with Denver. Um, he went to Super Bowl 48 in, 19, in 2014, and then two years later, Super Bowl 50 in 2016. And they were two very different games again. Denver made it to the Super Bowl at the end of the thir- 2013 season, and they faced Seattle. And this time I was gathered with friends here in Cleveland 
by that time I had moved here and my daughter was born. She was only f a, a little over three years old at the time, but we were at friend's house. We, we were at uh, the Gulch's house, Roy and Elena, and we were all set to watch the Denver Broncos have a great game. They had had a great season and they got there and they lost the, toin the coin toss and Seattle deferred, and they decided to kick off. And with the ball at about the 13-yard line, the very first snap went right over Peyton Manning's head. He he was changing a changing a play and walked forward as the center snapped the ball over his head and into the end zone. And their running back jumped on the ball. And they had even had 12 men on the field that they were going to be flagged for. And so all of a sudden, Denver was in a, a 2 nothing hole. And it never got better. And this was the third biggest blowout um, in Super Bowl history for the Broncos. And it was a loss of 43-8. to eight. They just never quite got on track offensively that day. Peyton stuck around a couple years. He came back at the uh, end of the 2015 season. And in 2016, he led the Broncos to a win in the Super Bowl over Carolina, 24-10. to 10. And that was Peyton's last year. And so... Quarterbacks for the Denver Broncos seem to go through the lowest of lows and the highest of highs and then bow out on the high notes. And so this was my family's team. We grew up watching this and we agonized every bit of the way. And Super Bowls have been tragic for the most part, but glorious at times as well. Um, other Super Bowls that come to mind for me, one in particular, when I was living in Nashville, the I believe the second year I was there, the Tennessee Titans, which were the Houston Oilers for a time, actually made it to the Super Bowl. And they made it on one of the most memorable plays ever when they beat the Buffalo Bills on what was called the Music City Miracle. They got a kickoff late in the game and uh, the field the, the kick was fielded and lateraled across the field and everyone was wondering if the lateral was actually backward or not at the time but got across the field and the run and the one of the wide receivers ran the full length of the field and scored the winning touchdown and that took the titans to their first and only super bowl and it was exciting i watched that one on a projection system with my church family in nashville and that was the one of the most enjoyable times I think I've ever had watching the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is something for spending time with friends and family. And today I'll do the same. I'll be gathering with my wife and my daughter who probably won't participate too much, but a friend named Denise and another friend named Gabe. And we're going to just spend some time together eating and watching the game and and this time not caring who wins or loses, the ones with Broncos in them and hopefully someday one with the Cleveland Browns in it, those matter, but this one doesn't matter. And so I'm going to just enjoy the game today and whichever team wins, I'll be happy for and I don't have to expend tremendous amounts of emotional energy on either team. But Super Bowls are partly my favorite time of sports this time of year, but there's another sport that starts this time of year, and whereas most sports end their season with the biggest game of the year, there's a sport that starts its season with the biggest race of the year, and that's NASCAR. And NASCAR for me was just something that 
I remember as a kid being on CBS on Saturday afternoons, and it was like, I don't really understand this. And I, you know, cars go fast and they go left and they just, you know, it didn't really appeal to me a whole lot. But in particular, at the at the beginning of the 2001 NASCAR season, I was a little bit intrigued because Fox uh, took over the broadcast of NASCAR that year for the first time ever from CBS. And and Fox had been known as an innovator in sports. They were one of the first ones to use the yellow line for the first down markers. They were... Um, when they tried their hand at hockey, they actually tried the glowing puck. And so you could tell where the puck was on the ice in the NHL. And I knew they would bring their own particular flair to NASCAR racing as well. And I was grateful for that. My, my history in media, my history in television in particular, yeah, I was sort of interested in what was going on, but not quite fully there. I was going to kind of give it a glance and see what they did and see if it was something that I could actually spend some time enjoying. But I was at that time, a youth, a youth leader at my church, Westmead Fellowship in Nashville. And the youth would arrive for Sunday night services. And we had a service that was much like what our upstairs church did, but we had contemporary music, we had some worship, and then I taught and I remember that particular night, one of the moms walked in and she was seated at one of the tables in the fellowship hall outside the parlor where we had our worship service. And I noticed she was crying and I walked up and I asked her, you know, what was bothering her? And she told me that Dale Earnhardt had passed away. And in my ignorance, I had to ask who Dale Earnhardt was. And she explained that he was a a stock car racer, a NASCAR driver. And I can recall the callousness of my own heart at the time, wondering how the death of an athlete could affect somebody that profoundly. And I understand now what I didn't understand then, because I've gone back and watched parts of that race, highlights of that race, and I understand why it was so moving. Dale was NASCAR. Um, There were ones who'd come before him, but during that stretch of time in the late 80s into the early 2000s, Dale Earnhardt was the heart and soul. He was the intimidator. He drove this black number three car that he was willing to push people aside and he he would win races however was legal, but he was just known as the intimidator and he got people out of his way when he needed to well that particular race was marked by a couple of things one his cousin mike won i think the pole and or was second in the and second in line and and mikey as they called him michael waltrip was actually coming around leading the race at the end of the race and he was coming around turn four heading for the checkered flag and dale was doing everything he possibly could i'm sorry they weren't cousins but they were friends and um they dale was coming around behind him trying to keep the rest of the field at bay and dale lost control of his car and turned four and slammed into the wall really hard mikey's cousin that's where i got it 
Daryl Waltrip was the announcer for Fox, and Daryl's calling the race, and at one point he's trying to celebrate for his cousin Mike having just won the race, but he's also looking down the, the back, the front stretch at this car smashed into the wall at turn four, knowing that his good friend Dale Earnhardt was in that car, and they didn't know what was going on. And if you've never been a part of a fatality if you've never been watching live a fatality in a, in a game or a near fatality in some sort of a, a sporting event, it is just, it rocks everyone. Very recently in the NFL, um, there was a game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills in which a player uh, made a very simple tackle of a wide receiver and then fell backwards after taking two steps and was out cold on the field. And for an hour or more, they attended to him and carted him off the field. And he had actually suffered a cardiac arrest and from all indications had actually expired on the field and been brought back to life. And it rocked those teams, it rocked those players, it rocked my family and I as we were watching it together back in Colorado when we were on vacation this past January. And so much so they called the game. They didn't finish the game. And and the young man did survive. And, and his first question after he came out of a coma was, did we win? And they had to explain to him that they didn't finish the game because it was so traumatizing to both sides. And so I didn't understand when this young lady, this mother of one of my youth kids, walked in and was crying because Dale Earnhardt had passed away. But like I said, I have since gone back and watched that race and watched Mikey crossing the finish line in his car, watching Daryl, his cousin, calling the race, trying to figure out if not only if his friend had died in a car wreck, but trying to celebrate for his cousin, Mike. And then the aftermath of all of it, realizing that there had been a death in auto racing, and there had been some before, but this was the intimidator. This was Dale Earnhardt. And it was tragic, and it there was a lot of good that came from it, believe it or not. There were a lot of safety innovations that took place after that, um, full-body restraints and things called Hans devices that are collars that the race driver wears to keep his head still so his head can't bounce around if there's an accident. Just a number of things came about during this wreck that were good, but it was not good in the moment, and it was tragic, and it's hard to watch. It's hard for me to watch as a, a fan to go back and watch that race because I just get teary-eyed as my our student's mom did. And so it kind of propelled me into this love for NASCAR because it was birthed out of this desire to watch Fox do broadcasts, but it was also confirmed by this just passionate fan base that loved their drivers. Just like my family and I had always loved the Broncos, and whether the Broncos did well, John Elway helicoptering on his way to a first down and winning Super Bowl 33 or 32, or doing terribly getting beat by the San Francisco 49ers 55-10, to 10, we rooted for our football teams. And now all of a sudden I was in this 
culture of NASCAR where you weren't rooting, you were rooting for a team, but you were really rooting for a driver. And early on, me and my friends and I, we all gravitated toward various drivers, but my gravitation in particular was another very intimidating force, a guy by the name of Tony Stewart. He drove the number 20 car for Home Depot um, for a Joe Gibbs racing team. And I just wanted to root for Tony. Tony was kind of like the intimidator. He would push people out of the way. He would speak his mind. He didn't care what people thought about him. And he would race anything with four wheels. He there were times that he would race uh, a long NASCAR race after finishing uh, a 500-mile a course of the Indianapolis 500, and he did that a couple of times. He he rode he he drove in sprint car races, little tr dirt tracks everywhere, and he owns a dirt track in Eldora uh, Speedway in Indiana, and he was just the guy that we followed, and we followed him when he was in that orange number 20 car and we followed him to when he started his own race team and Stuart Haas racing and he moved into the number 14 red car which his favorite driver when he was growing up was AJ Foyt who drove in the Indianapolis 500 a number of times and he drove the red number 14 in Indy cars and so Tony just became our guy and NASCAR became a sport that I fell in love with and I it became contagious. It became something that my friends Cynthia and Chip, we would gather together on Sunday afternoons. And now that football season ends and NASCAR season starts, we've got something to watch for the next several months as well. Pretty much take us until football season begins again. And so we just really enjoyed um, NASCAR. I didn't mention that much in a, my first go around of Go Sports, but NASCAR became a very strong love in my life later in life. And and to this day, um, my, my interest in it has waned a little bit that Tony has retired, but he still has a team. He still is a, an owner, and we still root for Chase Briscoe. He's Tony's driver now. He's a young guy, and he drives that red number 14 that Tony drive, had driven all those years. And so we still, we still root. We still, I, there were times when we didn't have cable in our house, and my wife would go, how are you going to watch the race this week? And I said, well, hang on. And I went and started pulling gear out of my basement, an area that I call colloquially call Radio Shack. It's just where I keep all my extra cables and stuff and found uh, the online version of somebody's in-car camera was available and we could watch the race from that perspective, but we couldn't listen to it. So got a radio out and we listened to the broadcast of the radio on another channel and kind of got them synced together. And that's how I watched NASCAR when we didn't have cable. And so it's always been something that I've watched. There have been times where when we did have cable or we did have a streaming service, I would turn the sound, surround sound on and actually unplug the center speaker from our surround sound system where the announcers were and I could just watch the game and just listen to the vroom 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 in the surround sound and sat there and watched the race that way and enjoyed that and so it's just been a passion a passion of mine a passion that led me to cause other people to fall in love with it as well including my wife and hopefully one day my daughter will will appreciate going fast and going left and uh, we'll see if that 
if that takes root in her heart. But I just wanted to share with you some of these things. Again, we're where I'm at today. We're right on the the cusp of Super Bowl 57, and um, it's an exciting time. Ne- next week is Daytona, and get to watch that race, and and then the full NASCAR season coming up, and it's just sports in general on television is fun. Sports in person can be fun too. I there are some of them that I don't enjoy being there. Um, NASCAR is one of them. I've tried to go to races. My dad and my brother and I actually went to a race in Nazareth, Pennsylvania one time. The, the racetrack doesn't even exist anymore, but we we went and saw a race there and enjoyed it. But I I went to a race after that with some friends in Nashville, and it's just so loud that you really can't enjoy it with a group of people. You can sit and watch, but it's so loud that it's hard to participate with a group. And then you come home and you watch it, and it's just so much more appealing on television, again, because of what Fox and others have done with in-car cameras and bumper cameras and cameras in the ground and uh, cameras in drones that are flying overhead. And it's just a much more fun to participate with it at home. I love watching hockey in an arena. I love being in a cold arena watching hockey. Um, love going to golf tournaments. My brother and I have been to Pebble Beach before and watched that. I've never been to Augusta to see the Masters, but I'd love to do that at some point. Um, love to go to football games. Love to go to high school ba- football games, particularly um, pro games. In Cleveland and Colorado, it's always been quite cold, so it's kind of not so much fun when that's the case. And again, because of the the complexity and the beauty of football on TV, it's easier to watch at home. But um, much rather go to a basketball game, much rather be in an arena hearing the squeak of the ball and the tennis shoes on the on the floor and being with people in that. But sports in general, again, has been the passion of my family that I grew up with and now continues to be a passion of my wife. She watches football with me. She'll watch the Super Bowl today. And we just enjoy being a part of this stuff we call sports. And I know there's nothing particularly spiritual in all of this, but you have to understand this is part of who I am in addition to who I am as a as a believer in Christ, as a as a child of God, as a passionate follower of Jesus. Um I been at times a very passionate follower of the Denver Broncos. I've been a very passionate follower of the Cleveland Browns. And uh, But as we end today, I just want to share with you, as I always do, the hope of my faith, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because I understand these things are, are temporal. They're fun to be participate in. It's fun to be a Broncos fan. It's fun to be a Denver uh, Nuggets fan and a Colorado Avalanche fan and a Cleveland Browns fan and a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and a Tony Stewart fan and a NASCAR fan. But when when all is said and done and this earth is no more, none of that's really going to matter. It seems to matter a whole lot. Uh, seems to matter a whole lot to people right now. There are people that are paying upwards of $6,000 to go to a football game today. But it won't matter in eternity. What does matter is where we'll spend eternity. We'll either spend it in 
the presence of God in his presence, worshiping him with our creator who loves and cares for us so deeply that he sent his son to die for us, or we'll send or we'll spend it separated from him for eternity and knowing that we could have known him if we had just surrendered our hearts and our lives to him. So if you don't know Christ, that's my passion and my prayer always. I pray that if if the gospel makes sense to you at all, if and 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 it only makes sense if if God's working in your life and he's drawing you to himself and you'll know that because your pulse will quicken and you'll begin to think that maybe for the first time ever this particular plea from me or from any other pastor makes sense like it didn't make sense before and it's because the holy spirit's drawing you to himself and he's revealing himself to you answer that call right here and right now surrender your heart and your life to christ just you have to do two things you have to repent you have to turn away from your own life and the control of your life and the direction of your life and you have to turn away from your sin and you have to believe in him believe that jesus came to this earth for the purpose of being the substitute for the sins that you've committed that i've committed that everyone has committed so that you could have relationship with god when jesus breathed his last on the cross of on the cross of calvary he uttered the words it is finished and father god tore this very thick curtain that separated the holy of holies which was the manifest presence of god on earth he separated he tore that curtain and and made a way so that we would have access to god in first person with a personal relationship and all it takes is repenting and believing and saying to christ i know what you did for me on the cross you did it for me and i turn from my sins and i give my life to you now there are no magic words there's no magic prayer but if you say that if you say that from your heart to god today you'll start a new path and that path ends with you in heaven in god's presence so pray with me now as we finish today and then we'll finish up our time together and at least i'll go watch the super bowl a little bit later but let me pray father god thank you for those who are listening today who've listened to the end who've heard this plea father i pray that you would as you are now drawing them to yourself open their eyes and their ears to the truth of the gospel our 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 lives are filled with brokenness and we have ways that we try to fill the brokenness sometimes it's even religion but nothing fills that hole in our hearts except you father and through the power of your holy spirit as you're calling us to ourselves calling us to yourself you're calling us away from our brokenness a brokenness that is brought about because of sin you're calling us back to your perfect design and we do so lord by saying that we repent and believe the gospel of jesus christ and we recover and pursue that which you've given us to do in this world to lead others to you and to do good in this world to love people and to love you with our whole hearts minds souls and strength and to love others as ourselves so that we can get back to your original design which is living with you forever and living in perfect unity with you so father we commit our lives to you we commit everything to you we are grateful for what jesus did on the cross we're grateful for what you did and 
sending him to the cross so that we could have access and relationship with you. So Father, draw those who are hearing, those who are perceiving, and those who are being wooed by your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself now and reveal yourself to them. Father, for those who are listening and know you, um, just let them rejoice in their relationship with you and let them go and make disciples of all nations. Father, I pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Can't say go Broncos, can't say go Browns, and I'm not going to pick, so I'm going to say go Chiefs and Eagles. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.